0: Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in May.
1: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Atlantic Magazine recently asked photographers in 24 locations around the globe to point their cameras up to the sky at precisely the same moment 1 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, April 25th. At a time when the world is so isolated, the magazine says these photographs are a reminder of what we share. The resulting article is titled, We Are All Living the Same Moment, and it was written by Gretel Ehrlich. Gretel Ehrlich is a writer based in Wyoming, Montana, and Hawaii. She's the author of This Cold Heaven, The Solace of Open Spaces, and Facing the Wave, among other works. Her forthcoming essay collection, Unsolaced, will be released in January. We're going to talk about the pandemic in Hawaii, where Gretel Ehrlich lives, and around the world. We'll talk about Greenland and some of Gretel Ehrlich's other favorite places. And we'll talk about Gretel Ehrlich's uh, experience being struck by lightning, which she recounts in her book, A Match to the Heart. I reached Gretel Ehrlich uh, at her home in Wyoming. Are you on the Big Island? Where are you?
2: Yeah, the Big Island. It's a very northern tip the big island where yeah. we have not had a single case of COVID-19
1: okay and, yeah I was gonna, yeah. just gonna no, not well, no a single case done a
2: really good job of keeping everyone locked in and you know ma- mask wearing and yeah it's been really good
1: yeah well, well good uh, have you been uh, what's Hawaii been doing about shelter-in-place orders or, or not
2: Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although you know, we can we can take walks in our neighborhood, and you know, the Big Island is rural, so we walk. We can go. We can even go swimming in the ocean as long as, we can't sunbathe. But as long as you're in the water swimming, and uh, we take walks uh, on the cliffs above the ocean and stuff like that. But yeah. otherwise, everyone, if you go, you know, to the post office or something, you you're required to wear a mask and. And yeah, it's been really good.
1: So things really good on the big island. How about the how about the, the state as a whole? Is that doing pretty good?
2: Well, you know, Honolulu is, <laughs> is a crowded <laughs> city, so and because um but they they have had they still have serious lockdowns. So there's no travel between the islands allowed unless it's for a medical reason. Um, and because we have such a huge indigenous population although it's it's a, a mixture a mixed indigenous population but uh, lots of people live you know with extended families and so they they're being extra careful which I I think is really great because it is a, a state that depends on tourism and they have you know said you know that our the health of of the people here especially the Hawaiian people uh, is really important so we're gonna take care of that and worry about the economy later. So it's it's been really interesting, because I feared that it would go the way of Florida, but it, it hasn't.
1: Yeah, well, it's good to hear things are, are going well. Um, I want to talk a bit about this piece in The Atlantic, very interesting piece that really struck my imagination, uh, probably yours as well, since they got you to write, write for the piece. Um, but uh, I, I was kind of curious to ask you about shelter-in-place you know, for, for the mm-hmm. author of the Solace of Open Spaces, and uh, known for <laughs> uh, traveling around uh, Greenland, the wide open spaces. But it sounds like you're you're able to get out uh, a bit.
2: Um, you mean now, or yeah,
0: yeah, now, yeah. Or,
2: mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, we can go for walks and things, but we can't really travel unless it's for some good reason. Yeah. Uh, nor would I want to, but oh. yeah, we we just. You know, my entire life has sort of been sheltering in place, even though I've traveled um, a lot, but mostly to other places where essentially you're sheltered in place, i.e. on a dog sled. And I spent 23 years, 23 springs or seasons uh, traveling by dog sled in northwestern Greenland with subsistence Inuit hunters. And before that i had a i live i had an isolated mountain ranch in Wyoming and um, you know we and I'm a writer the life of a writer, at least my version of a writer the person who writes about the natural world is to live kind of isolated and um, just to um, live where you live and look around and see see what's there. <laughs>
1: So. yeah that's that's interesting i had not thought about it that way you know you've you've done so much travel once you get to a place you're you're kind of you are kind of isolated much of the work you've done yeah
2: i i guess that's what i like that's where i feel comfortable
1: yeah, yeah. uh including i understand uh i don't know how long you d- did this You lived in an off-the-grid cabin in wyoming yeah i um let's see the cat uh, first you know i had a
2: a uh, cattle, small cattle ranch up in the mountains, and then, and then, uh, and then I was hit by lightning, and then, then after that, I I moved to a different part of Wyoming and and had a small off the grid cabin. It was basically a one room cabin. I later built a second room, um, but yes, very very much off the grid. It was um, I had a a couple of solar panels. That didn't always work too well and um so a lot of times i had no power at all Mm -hmm. and um i i often melted snow on the wood stove for water etc so uh but it it faced the wind river it was at the foot of the wind river mountains and um i uh you know, I just walked or rode my horse all over the place, and and then I I also backpacked all through the Wind Rivers in the mostly in the fall, and so it, it was quite quite wonderful. I did have neighbors. We had bought this land together, and um, they lived in a house that I couldn't see down at the other end of the land. But so it's not you know I think solitude is overrated it it, it, it's never been about solitude rather it's been about um being able to roll out of bed and and put on my clothes and just walk and not be seen by anybody and not to see other people but just to see the land and the, the sky and um whatever's growing and whatever animals are there and what ponds have water and ducks in them or not and um what bugs have arrived what plants are coming out from under the winter and um yeah that that was it
1: yeah uh, you say solitude's overrated
2: yeah i i mean yes totally <laughs> it's not i mean i think it's a myth you know because um, i i um I'm, I've always been a big fan of Thoreau's, of course, and um, I've been to Walden Pond. <laughs> I know all about Thoreau. You know, he used to go to uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's house for dinner at night from Walden Pond <laughs> um, and have you know amazing conversations with all the visitors there. And you know, you know, I think the the whole point of living apart is not to um, exclude human interaction all the time, but to um, it's a kind of a, a, a discipline to open yourself up to what's around you without the distraction or the entertainment of of um, people um, and you know, so you, you just have to discipline yourself to live, just to live in the world as it is. Um, and then, but but then to seek out people when you need it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the whole world is discovering that right now, that, mm-hmm. that there's so much we don't need, but we also need to check in with, with each other, mm-hmm. but not all the time, every day. You know, I think so much of Social life is just a kind of distraction and an entertainment a way of not really facing um, what's what's deep inside you and and your your hopes and fears and um, so just to sit with yourself wherever you are without anybody or anything distracting you is um Extremely revelatory, <laughs> and, it, and it's wonderful. It can be scary. It can be sad, and it can be funny. Um, but I think it's kind of essential for for everybody.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, when you, when you said that, uh, the the motion that came to my mind, to in heart was was scary. Maybe that reveals uh, more than I wanted about myself. But uh, you, you, <laughs> you want to talk you, about you, it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. But um, um, but you're saying can be healthy. Uh, you know, you you don't want to be by yourself all the time, right? But uh, do you think we can? Yeah. Do you think there's a chance we can come come out of this collectively, having learned the right lessons, good lessons.
2: Yeah, I, I really hope so. I really hope that, um, you know, I hear some people saying, oh God, you know, just, you got to give me, I, I just can't stand not seeing my children or my blah, blah, whoever. And, and I just, I just want to say, you know, calm down. You know, we're, those of us who, who are still alive, we're all still here and, um, we, we are connected. Um, we, we just don't have to be in each other's presence all the time. And um, so I, I'm hoping that people will see that, that well, first, you know, go down, go down into themselves. You know, put a flashlight down into the, your body and your psyche and, um, and find out what's really important, what, you know, sort of what your actual needs are as a human being and um which are usually quite simple and 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 then perhaps choose to live in a less frantic consumer bound way uh, just to enjoy you, you know if you live in a city just to go to the park and walk around and meet your friends in a park and share a sandwich or um, you know, you don't have to make a big hoopla about everything. Mm. And uh, perhaps, you know, I've long um, tried in the in various towns, like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to say, you know, I met with the town council once and I said, why don't you just close off the street, you know, the main streets, to, just so it's just people. You can have them open from four to seven in the morning for deliveries and then just close them down so that people can just be there simply, and um I want when I was I think fourteen, I spent a month in in a little town in Switzerland with my parents, and there were no cars at all allowed in that town. everything was just it was winter it was horse drawn sleighs <laughs> and i I thought this is perfect. why would I ever want to live anywhere else <laughs> um so that you're uh, I mean, because what it does is it puts you, you know, you, you need to rely on yourself. You can ski from your house to somebody else's house or take the, the horse-drawn sleigh or, or walk. or And, all, and along the way, um, you know, we're so kind of destination-bound. Like, you get on a plane and you're going to New York, and then you don't really think about anything until you get there, as opposed to... Being alive, fully alive and awake along the way, the whole path between one place to another is also full of life and um, strangeness and beauty and loneliness and, and um, joy. And, and so I, I'm just hoping that people see that, that, it, that every step we take is full of life. And we don't have to be so driven in a kind of linear way. we can um expand we don't have to succumb to reductive thinking. we can be all inclusive of what's along the way every minute
1: hmm. I wanted, yeah beautifully said um I guess we'll see what what happens as this goes along it's 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 uh, you know, it's a big problem. It's uh, obviously and and, uh, and dangerous, um, but perhaps opportunities there for us as well to to hit reset. Yeah,
2: I mean, of course. Yeah, I, I'm not um, you know pretending that there isn't a huge economic problem, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, there are there are always better ways of doing things, and mm. and and it it may uh, of course uh, there's lots of Suffering going on and in other countries, famine, and you know, just un- unthinkable kinds of tragedies. Um, but those of us who are privileged enough to, you know, be healthy and and have the food we need and shelter, et cetera, um, can can think about the whole globe in a different way and find you know there there are no problems without solutions, basically. So, you know, perhaps just listen to each other in each area. You know, how can we make our town better? How can we make our state better? How can we take care of the people who need some help um, and, and live together in a way that's, that's healthier biologically Healthier for the wildlife and the animals and, the, you know, just healthier in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we make decisions about how to do things basically in this country, you know, based on profit only. How are we going to profit without understanding um, what that decision might do to everything else? So we we... Yeah.
1: No, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: No, I just, you know, when we're, tra- you know, when as a as a as a group, a governing group, we we have to make our decision-making process um more inclusive of biological health of human creativity of and profit. I'm not excluding that, you know, how we survive economically. All that has to be a part of it, but it just has to be more
1: You're listening to Access Utah. Our guest for the hour is writer Gretel Ehrlich, and uh, I reached her at her home on the Big Island in Hawaii. Um, She's the author of This Cold Heaven, The Solace of Open Spaces, and Facing the Wave, among other works. And uh, she wrote the article in the Atlantic Magazine, We Are All Living the Same Moment, the Atlantic Magazine asked uh, 24 uh, photographers, photographers in 24 locations around the globe, to point their cameras up to the sky at precisely the same moment, 1 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, April 25th. They say at a time when the world is so isolated, these photos are a reminder of what we share. We'll get into talking about that article later in the conversation. We'll talk about Greenland and some of Little Ehrlich's other favorite places. More following this. This is Science by the Slice. Bark worse than bite? That pointy thing sticking out of a bee or wasp? It's technically known as a sting, even though most of us call it a stinger. Technicalities aside, USU entomologists report the length of a sting may indicate how badly it will hurt. In a study of 14 families of wasps, ants, and bees, Aggie scientists found the longer the sting, the worse the pain, but the lower the toxicity. Insects with short stings may carry more venom.
0: This segment of Science by the Slice is brought to you by the USU College of Science, offering degree programs in mathematics and varied scientific disciplines. Details at usu.edu science. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in May.
1: Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. Our guest for the hour is Gretel Ehrlich. Uh, she is based these days in Hawaii on the Big Island. She's the author of This Cold Heaven, The Solace of Open Spaces, and Facing the Wave, among other works. Her forthcoming essay collection, titled Unsolaced, will be released in January. And uh, at the end of this conversation, we will get into talking about an extraordinary experience that Gretel Ehrlich uh, had. Uh, she was struck by lightning. She recounts that in her book, A Match to the Heart. And uh, of course, we'll talk about uh, much else as well as this conversation continues. One of the things perhaps we're thinking about more during these times of pandemic is our interconnectedness. Um, I think that was one of the driving forces behind this project on the, the the atlantic right we are all living the same moment um so quoting, right. coding... we, we
2: all see the same moon and the sun in the sky yeah i've had i've had children ask me even recently like do you are you do we all see the same moon i said yes <laughs> it's just one moon and one sun and one you, you know
1: yeah uh so the for i mean the... i
2: think just that revelation is is you know it's constant it's it's kind of amazing to think that we can all look at the sky, even though we live in on different parts of the globe. That we are all seeing the same sky, mm-hmm. so to speak.
1: And and yet, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't really, you know, see in quotes. We don't see it. Uh, it's there. <laughs> it's a reality. But but do we yeah. do we see that we do we they all see it the same? Um, so this this project. Um, the 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 Atlantic reached out to uh, photographers around the globe, asked them to point their cameras uh, to the sky at precisely the same moment, one p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, April twenty fifth. Um, right. And they they say at at a time when the world is so isolated, these photos are a reminder of what we share. And then they reached out to you to 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 write write the piece.
2: Right. Yeah. It was a, a quick turnaround. I wrote I wrote it. You, you know, even as he was on the phone with me describing what he wanted, the editor, you know, I was already making notes as he was talking, so, because I, you know, I had, I just had a few days to write it. So.
1: Did you? So I did, uh,
2: but I thought that was appropriate, yeah. because, yeah, we're all looking at this time of the sky, okay, right now, well, you know, first thought, best thought, just put it down.
1: R- right. Uh, were you able to see the photographs ahead of time, or did you write it, uh? Just knowing the I, concept,
2: I had already started writing it before I saw the photographs. But then, of course, I did see them too.
1: Yeah, do, do you? Are there some that stand out? There's a there's a variety. They're all, of course, of the sky. Many of them are framed by, you know, a building or or trees or or whatever. There's a couple that just pointed at the sky. Any favorites yeah. that stand out to you?
2: Well, not, not really. I mean, a lot of them were kind of more urban. Um, and my you know I've lived most of my adult life out in the middle of the boonies, so they didn't speak to me in that way and um, but but I just saw them you know I just thought about all the reference points in them that people that that the photographers had framed it so you saw the reference point of a building or a tree or something um, in it was their way of saying, I'm here and I'm looking out at the sky as opposed to just you know what what an astronomer sees um, I, I thought that was interesting and and it was kind of the way that we're saying yes we're we're all we're here those of us who were able to live through this are are still here and we're still um, we are sheltering in place wherever that place is, and and you you know very very different landscapes or cityscapes in most cases.
1: Yeah, so. uh, I was interested. Of course, there's one in Utah, which was a 7 a.m. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time on that April 25th. Right. There, there's a there's a uh, uh, a shadow, uh, and, and, and yes. then. Then behind, I like that. behind yeah. out, out into, I don't in know. In fact,
2: I would say that that was the one that 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 struck me the most. maybe because it was the Intermountain West and I, I could just, you know, kind of relate to that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Shadow of a, of a person and then out. I don't know if it's sagebrush or, or. And then kind of the sagebrush. Yeah. 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 Yeah uh you write you focus a lot on this this uh, essay your your piece in the atlantic on sky of course you that's the that's the subject of the photographs you write sky's ubiquity yeah. it drives into us we gulp weather yet we conceive of it as out there up there apart from us and uh, right. uh, that's that's very true we it, it is out there right although you point out it's <laughs> it's also with us too
2: it's in it's inside us too yeah, yeah. Yeah because you know we think of sky we that word you know we kind of think of it as a uh we kind of frame frame it as opposed to air you know i thought a lot of, about the difference between air and sky even though sky is made of air but sky is implies a kind of the, the scape of the eye you know it's framed by what we can see and so we kind of give it this um, definition, um, which is outside of ourselves. It's something that we see, as opposed to air, which is much more um, amorphous. We, you know we, don't, we, we know that air is all around us, and we breathe it in and we breathe it out. but're the same exactly the same can be said of the sky. Mm-hmm. It, it is.
1: And, and, and yeah,
2: us. And, well, you know, when you live in Utah or Wyoming or Montana or or and uh, and where we live in Hawaii, it, you know, sky is probably three fourths of what we see every day. I mean, the land is just a kind of a sliver under our feet, and the rest is sky. So, um, depending on where you live, it's it's either immense or it's a kind of little rectangle you see between buildings.
1: And, and do you think that affects us? Um, I guess we sometimes we're not aware of that, but uh, do, yeah. do do we act differently? Do we live differently depending on 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 uh, how much of the sky we have above us.
2: Well, I think if you see a lot of sky, you you realize how small you are in the universe, and um, and if you only see it from the framework of buildings full of people and activity, then you might. Feel you're more important than you actually are, mm. <laughs> or at least more numerous. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. uh, and so, but in these times, um, air is dangerous. You know, air air might carry virus.
2: <laughs> yes, but it's also it can also be health. I mean, it can be there's because we need to have all our windows open and living, having fresh air coming in and clean, you know, it has a kind of cleaning ability. It cleans out the germ laden air with fresh air. So it's really both. Mm. But in a way, you know, to me that, that's sort of like, you know, you know, living and dying that between every breath, we're kind of dead for a second, not really dead, but you know, um, it, it's it kind of, holds that, um, that, that those, those two things, it holds life and death. And so, yes, it can be full of germs, and it can be full of health.
1: You're you right in this essay, um, Sky Holds and Releases a Temple's Bell Decay, The Soul Songs of Brahms, The Space Pop of the French Band Air. From our lockdown houses, we blast Mozart's Requiem and the Doors. Look into the sky and yell, we are still alive. Is, is this autobiographical?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, totally. <laughs> it also tells you how old I am, because yeah. the Doors were popular when I was in my 20s.
1: <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, on, on the yeah. on the big island there, do you, do you do Gretel Ehrlich is, is yelling, we're still alive? Oh, sure. Yeah.
2: Of course. Yeah. You know, and you stand out at the rim of the Pacific Ocean, and, um, you know, it is, we are out, we, you know, the Hawaiian, we're the easternmost of the Hawaiian Islands, but these islands are the farthest from any continent of any other islands in the world. We're just, we're just little drops out in these immense oceans, so. Yes, you're inclined to say, "Hey, we're still here mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we are alive, and uh yeah, and you know music has always been really important to me um perhaps Brahm's more important than the doors, but mm. um you know it's sort of the it is so um music goes so deeply within us and and it and also that you know, there's a kind of exuberance, um, it, um, especially music like The Doors or the air and the French band Air, um, which is kind of spacey stuff. But, you know, there's an exuberance about it, a liveliness, and, a, and a, um, it, it encompasses every human emotion, and, and it travels through the airwaves, and it connects us in that way.
1: Hmm. You you write that uh, you say I sleep in star rooms with windows low around the bed. Um uh, so you at, at night you search the sky use it as a clock you you see the so that that's and so I I wasn't aware of it. I I googled it star rooms and <laughs> uh, it it looked <laughs> oh, great it looks great.
2: Oh yeah well the, uh, so I I love building houses or uh, so i this last place i built in montana i just told the contractor who's was a wonderful guy uh, i said i so when you build the bed you know I, I designed them by myself to scale and um so i showed him the where the bedroom was going to be and i said i need to be able to see the big dipper from the bed and he kind of looked at me and <laughs> i said i said i guess you need to know exactly where the big dipper is right at so I I took him outside and I pointed. I said, so we need windows all the way around here. And he, he kind of said, okay. <laughs> anyway. Mm. Yeah, it's great because especially when you're older and you don't sleep as well, you just, I just lie there and I watch the, you know, Orion's belt move across the sky and I see w- which way the Big Dipper is twirling. And sometimes I've seen the space station go by and, and of course, lots of meteor showers. It's it's um, you could say it's my evening entertainment.
1: Yeah, and and a uh, good one, good one it must be. Yeah. Um, in in this piece, you you talk about um, how you were with astronomers as they the, as they yeah. discovered dark matter. I wonder if you could tell me about that. That's a that's a fascinating story.
2: <laughs> yes, as much as I know. Yeah, I've been. I had an assignment to um, um, travel with this astronomer who was sort of uh, dealing with all the media about Halley's Comet. And it was during the time, it was in the 80s, when Halley's Comet was visible in the sky. And But he, at the same time, he got ob- observing time. You know, you have to sort of sign up years in advance to have time at a telescope. And he it coincided with his week at the NASA telescope on the top of Mauna Kea, which is now sort of in my neighborhood, but it wasn't then. So I went with him and, you know, we were, he's, a, he's, a, um, he was just doing his thing. And suddenly the, it was before the teletype machines were started rumbling and all these pages kept, you know, coming out and, and they, they were from other astronomers Saying, did you see what? What are we seeing? We're seeing something, but it was, of course, this is infrared astronomy. So what they were seeing was it was um, I, I can't even, frankly, can't explain it. But they they said we are seeing dark matter, but we don't know what it is. We're seeing the effect it's having on other things in space, but we can't tell what it is itself and. So astronomers all over the world were seeing this sudden effect that was observable in infrared telescopes, and they were all calling each other in the middle of the night and saying, uh, "We we don't understand it." And it turns out they still don't really understand it. As I said in the piece, they know more about what dark matter and dark energy is not than what it is. So, but it was it was really exciting. I mean, they were just. They we were running around in the snow up on Mauna Kea. Mm. We ran to the University of Hawaii telescope, and um, that guy was just a young guy who just had piles of teletype paper all over the floor, and he was jumping up and down and saying, "God, this is an incredible." <laughs> So and and it's an exciting night
1: and you say what are we seeing and the astronomer says nothing and it, it's it, he's they're, they're delighted <laughs> yeah. by that <laughs> that was they, his joke yeah yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> because they could because they didn't have any idea what it was that was causing this effect yeah you know whether it was you know an event horizon of a black hole or you know they just and it still they still don't. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm just a I don't know really anything about astronomy. I don't I'm not qualified to explain what, what it is or isn't, but it it's it's endlessly fascinating and it has to do with the expansion of the universe and the accelerated expansion of the universe.
1: Yeah. As you say, we <laughs> we we know more about what dark matter's not than what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep,
2: I thought that was that was good. I like that because, you know, I think that's one of the you know perhaps what people are learning in this quiet time, um, that that what we end up with when we kind of sit still with ourselves is we we learn we at, we find out more questions about everything about ourselves about everything we're seeing around us. Um, you know, what birds come into your yard, what stars shine at night, what flowers bloom or not, or what, you know, when sudden s- snowstorms arrive and leave. And we, we 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 just find ourselves with a lap full of questions rather than answers. And I think that other world that so many of us were living with was a kind of um, – a pretense of knowing, of being know-it- know-it-alls, you know, knowing where you're going, knowing what you're doing, knowing how to make a lot of money, knowing how to do what you do without ever finding out what the questions are. And um so maybe in this time when we're um, consuming less and being quieter that we'll find out that... um the universe is full of questions and of of dark energy and dark matter that kind of has no beginning or end.
1: On Access Utah today, we are talking with writer Gretel Ehrlich. She is author of This Cold Heaven, The Solace of Open Spaces, and Facing the Wave, among other works. Her forthcoming essay collection, titled Unsolaced, will be released in January. Coming up following a break, we'll talk about Greenland, it's one of Gretel Ehrlich's favorite places. Um, and we'll talk about Gretel Ehrlich's extraordinary experience being struck by lightning, which she recounts in her book, A Match to the Heart. That's following this break.
0: UPR programming is supported by our members and Devour Utah, a monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene, with a spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com and Palmer Home Furnishings, celebrating Labor Day with Sofa Love Sets, Dining Room and Bedroom Furniture, located at 1670 South Highway 165 in Providence. Information at mountainridgefurniture.com and on Facebook. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in May.
1: The Atlantic Magazine recently asked photographers in 24 locations around the globe to point their cameras up to the sky at precisely the same moment, 1 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, April 25th. Uh, The magazine says at a time when the world is so isolated, these photos are a reminder of what we share. The resulting article is titled, We Are All Living the Same Moment, and they reached out to Gretel Ehrlich to uh, write the article. And Gretel Ehrlich is our guest for the hour today. One of the striking images in this piece, and the, the, you're, I think you're referring to your work on, on your your book in, in Japan after the tsunami. I just want to read this paragraph. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're talking with Gretel Ehrlich. Uh, you say, I don't know why we locate heaven in the sky. With the number of pandemic dead mounting up, the sky must be getting heavy. You go on to say, I was in Japan after the 2011 tsunami where the ghosts of the villages that had been washed away were thought to be behind us, clinging to our backs, hitching a ride. That's a striking image.
2: Yes, and um, um, there was a young man who had studied with, you know, sort of some of the mediums of Japan um, who, the last time I saw him, in fact, which was just a few years ago, said, You still have a ghost on your back. And um, (laughs) I said, Well. Well, so he he went through this whole process of trying to get the ghosts to stop clean, because I spent th- three months wandering through the 375 miles of erased coastline in Japan. And, and, every you know, ghosts are very much a part of that culture, even though, you know, Japan is, of course, a modern developed nation, but they still... Um, the old ways are still quite alive, especially in rural Japan. And um, every morning before we went out, we, we were meant to throw salt over our left shoulder to keep the ghosts away and to keep looking back and tell them, you know, to stay away. Mm. Uh, but a, a, according to this one friend, it, um, I still have one on my back.
1: hmm yeah.
2: So I just sort of say hi, hi to it. <laughs> yeah. Hi, are you still there? Hmm.
1: <clears throat> By the way, that book is called Facing the Wave. Uh, it's out and available. Um, yeah, you you go on to say just in the next sentence you say your heaven is Alpine, which I guess we 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 could have guessed. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yes, if you if one can choose, you know, like it's sort of if you can only to one place before you die or um, or whatever you know your favorite place on the planet where is it and mine is is right right at tree line um, and above tree line. I love being above tree line in the mountains where it's just granite everything has gone to granite slabs and big views and a kind of sparseness. Mm. That's my heaven.
1: Before we leave this essay, I just want to talk about a couple of other things. I want to read this—the last paragraphs, very beautiful. Um, this is Gretel Ehrlich. Perhaps that's the best way to think about the sky and the ways it binds and releases us. Looking up, we can see—we uh, can all see the same things: the pink moon, sunrises, glory, starlight, the lovely, lonely curve of air. Our peripheral vision shapes what we think we are seeing. From my lookout on a moving dog sled, I've seen how the horizon's silver stripe divides ice from air, mist from ocean, space from earth, and dark from light as the blue tent floats down and softly covers us all. Very beautiful. Thank you. Um, so uh, I want to talk a little bit about Greenland. You, you spent, uh, what, a couple decades of springs, worth uh, of springs, right, in Greenland?
2: yeah i well, I spent other seasons there too, but yeah. mostly of course it was spring yeah um yeah, because well, you know, I was hit by lightning um in nineteen ninety one and I was very not not well for about three years, and um as I, as I said, my favorite place is to be above tree line, and I thought where I wasn't well enough to go to altitude and um so I thought where where can I go that's above tree line I thought oh wait Ar- the Arctic of course I can go to the Arctic I've been in the Arctic before and um, by coincidence somebody asked me uh, a magazine editor um, asked me if I would go to Greenland and write about it so that was my chance to go there and and once I I, I went the first time i just all i just wanted to go back and i went back every season for years and years and years
1: what what's um, the what's the fascination what's uh what struck you so much that you keep going back
2: well i mean it was it was of course the the ice scape and um that you know ice is a really dynamic um covering of the ocean it, you know you're traveling on frozen ocean and, you know, it's very dynamic, very uh, amazing um, to see the ice, you know, the the ocean actually freeze up and then being, you know, getting 10 feet thick and going traveling on it and then to watch it in the summer disappear. Of course, all that has changed with climate change. But um, but it was also Arctic culture. Just um, I just thought I think it's just it, one of the most extraordinary cultures of the world um, you know they they uh, are you know what people originally came from northeast coast of Siberia and traveled all the way across the polar north ending up about 5,000 years ago in Greenland and um these were people who didn't know that there was a temperate world and they wouldn't have known how to live there anyway. You, you know, these were people who co-evolved with ice and um, everything they do, the all the ways they've lived all the way across Arctic Canada. I mean, Alaska, uh, uh, Arctic, Alaska, Arctic, Canada, and Greenland is, has been extraordinary. And, um, just to travel on a dog sled with these amazing people. You know, I just ended up traveling with one family group, extended family group, um, who were meant to be the, I mean, thought to be the best hunter, marine mammal hunters in the world. Just extraordinary people, kind and generous and funny and just so good at what they did. You know, I, I, I've, I just, I felt so... Safe and embraced by them. I mean, they. I'm, you know, they just sort of took me in. And, and I'd read <coughs> all the ethnographic, like, uh, um, three thousand pages of ethnographic notes of Knud Rasmussen, who trout who himself was from Greenland. He was part Danish, part part, you know what? But traveled by dog sled all the way from Greenland to Point Hope, Alaska. And uh, over a period of years, and um, also traveled all over Greenland by dog sled, and, and wrote about every, every village or every, every place that he was. Um, and so I, I just immersed myself in, 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 in a way you can't really divide the culture from, from the nature there, because it, it, it's all a, a moving piece. It's all of a piece, and so I was, I was, and still am enthralled by it, and my, by my friends there.
1: Uh, but but I want to, uh, to get this quote out here. In, in this cold heaven, uh, seven seasons in Greenland, uh, you quote Canute Rasmussen, uh, saying, "All true wisdom is only to be found far from the dwellings of man in great solitudes."
2: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, you've uh, we're reaching the end of the conversation, and you've made a couple of references to being struck by lightning. Um, th- those who know your works and know you would, uh, you know, uh, know that story. You wrote a book, a "Match to the Heart," right? Uh, but I can hear yes. listeners screaming at me: uh, "Wait, ask about being struck by lightning." <laughs> oh, yeah. No, in, in, interview malpractice. If I, I don't, uh, for my listeners, I have I haven't uh, much because I've already I've. Interviewed uh, Gretel like a couple times. We talked about this, but for those who haven't heard that story, that that's an extraordinary experience. There, there, there must be, you know, it's probably before struck by lightning and after struck by lightning. It's it's that's a huge thing. And you said you were three years recovering.
2: Yeah, I remember asking my cardiologist. I said, "Well, do you think I'll be up at, up an atom again in about three weeks?" And he said, "Well, just." <laughs> Three years would be more like it, and he was—he was right. Um, my so my sympathetic nervous system was kind of fried, and um, I had trouble staying conscious, which is a problem since standing up was problematic. Um, uh, I, it just took a long time for the cells that had been damaged. To regrow, and um, it was it was another shelter-in-place experience.
1: Mm, yeah,
2: I I ended up living uh, on a borrowed or, or I rented a, um, a friend's beach house, and and um, which was fantastic. Uh, it was I was medevac back to Santa Barbara where I'd grown up. My parents were still alive then, and i um, I just walked walked on the beach and and let my body heal. I just listened to what it said mm. it needed each day, a, a lot of rest, a lot of um, just you know, I didn't do anything. I just once again, I just hung out with myself and tried to walk as much as I could every day. Yeah. So it went from being able to walk a few yards to five miles a day.
1: Wow, that's so that much electricity flowing through you. Do you are are you when you're actually getting struck? Are you what awareness do you have, or do you, do you just black out, or what uh, is there no. pain?
2: Uh, I just I have no I have absolutely no memory of it at all, and anyone who says they remember is lying. It, it's not possible to. You have complete amnesia for the event and and um, yeah, mm. so which is good because I'm sure it was painful and traumatic, but I don't I have a kind of auditory memory um, in that I'm really hyper vigilant so if there's a loud, unexpected noise, I jump. Um, which is funny because I married to a, a former war correspondent. And he's <laughs> hyper vigilant because he was in—he was captured in the first Gulf War—and so if we're somewhere in the car backfires, we both jump on top mm. of each other like ah. What
1: mm. is that? This is this but, is a, um, of course our listener would be familiar. This is Neil Conan, right? Um,
2: yes, correct. A
1: um, long time NPR so, host. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, but anyway, um, but that's about it. I mean, I still love thunderstorms. I'm just, I'm careful, you know, uh, because I've been trained to be careful, but I still love (laughs) if a storm's coming, I usually run outside to see what's going on. But if I'm horseback, I do take my spurs off and take the bridle off and, and walk and lead the horse, even though people, you know, the cowboys tease me about that, but. It's not a good place to be. Yeah. On a horse in a thunderstorm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd imagine you'd be but, extra careful. So you, you, uh, you of course, that that's uh, it's a lot to process. I, I don't know if you had an advantage being a rider, but being able to process through that. What do you? What do your doctors tell you? That's, it's, it's physical, right? Three years to, to, to recover, but yeah. it's it's also psychological and emotional. Yes. It. Was, yeah. It was. I
2: lost. Everything you know that I had, you know, my ranch and my marriage and my um, my everything, and I I had to just kind of start over again, and that that was tough. Well, it was real tough. But um, I, I also had a, a long time Buddhist practice, even though I'm kind of yeah, well. Anyway, I, I I had done some time in a monastery and i've done a lot of sitting practice you know just pretty simple and um that helped i just thought well i'm just here i am with myself whatever that is i may i remember i had to be on the this back in the days of speed dial so the speed dial of the fire department um so that if my heart if i felt like my heart was stopping i could press a button, and they would be there in less than four minutes. Um, so I made myself watch the sun go down every day and um, figure that if I made it to morning, that was good. Mm. So you just – and I think that, you know, in these days, the COVID, these COVID days, I, it it seems really – feels really similar to me that if – if you can watch the sun rise, or at least have a sense of it rising, and watch the sunset, then you know you're here. You know you're alive. You know you're on the earth, and it kind of grounds you. It's a grounding experience, mm. and um, it really saw me through some hard times.
1: We think Red Ehrlich, a writer uh, based in uh, Hawaii these days. Um, And she is uh, the author of the article in The Atlantic, We Are All Living the Same Moment. You can find that at The Atlantic. And uh, Gretel Ehrlich's uh, essay collection, Unsolaced, will be released in January. Thanks for listening today.
0: This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, UPR.org, and the UPR app. Support comes from our members and Gem City Fine Foods. Certified gluten-free cheesecakes and cakes in a variety of flavors, including lemon zest, triple berry, and chocolate, along with chocolate torte. Available in select retailers. Information at gemcityfinefoods.com. The TED Radio Hour is next, followed by Reveal at 11. Stay with us.